Hey guys, welcome to Spencer Talks About Stuff. There are no amendments today, but I do want to give a shout out to all former Boise State football players. If you are listening to this and we have not connected recently, please reach out to me. For Spencer's favorites, I want to plug a business that I've mentioned before on the podcast. DMB Supply is where my wife and I do all of our home improvement shopping and where we get all of our tools, dog food, and chicken food. DMB supports the country lifestyle, but they also support the pseudo country lifestyle. If you live in a suburban neighborhood but need tools, animal food, and even things like hiking shoes, pellets for your Traeger grill, and even patio pavers, they have a ton of things to help you if you are a new homeowner. I also want to plug Zamzos for their lawn program, and I'm actually going to read this directly from the Zamzos website. Zamzos lawn program is developed for the Treasure Valley. Their five-step program doesn't just feed your grass, it feeds your soil. Unlike other fertilizers, Zamzo's lawn program adds vital trace elements to your soil and their natural-based ingredients feed the microorganisms that make up a balanced and healthy ecosystem. Many commercial fertilizers are water-dependent, so where the water goes, the fertilizer goes with it, often into our water supplies. Because Zamzo's uses natural-based ingredients, their fertilizers stay in the soil where they belong, so they feed longer and won't pollute our rivers, streams, and our aquifer in Boise. Please subscribe to Spencer Talks About Stuff and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Spencer Talks About Stuff is, is also now live on Spotify and Stitcher. Without further ado, here's episode 20. All right, welcome to episode 20 of Spencer Talks About Stuff. Today on the podcast, I have Zach Forrester. Zach is a former congressional staffer, an entrepreneur, and he's one of my best friends. So how's it going, Zach? Good, Spence. How are you? Good. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about your current job or not. Yeah, I can talk about it. It's fine. Okay, cool. Pull, pull the mic just a little bit closer. What, uh, so what are you doing now? I know you, you worked in politics for a while, said you wanted to get out of politics. Yeah, so I actually i am still in it here in Boise. Um, I work, I'm basically a government affairs, so lobbyist for, um, banks represent banks here in Idaho, uh, large and small, anywhere from, you know, banks, the size of 50 million, 50 million up to, you know, uh, the Wells and the JP Morgan chases and, uh, state chartered, nationally chartered, uh, you name it. Yeah. We represent it from a state and a little bit at a federal level as well. Okay. So Day-to-day, I know you and I have talked a little bit about it before, but day-to-day operations, it's a lot of relationship stuff with mm. the state legislatures. and Yeah, and we, you know, uh, right now, Crapo, Senator Crapo, Idaho's senator, is the chair of the Senate Banking Committee back in, in D.C. Oh, and wow. So, um, you know, it's interesting because a lot of other states will call us and ask um, on federal issues as well. So it's not necessarily just day-to-day state. A lot of it, I would say a majority of it is, but we do kind of reach reached out to the federal de- delegation on uh, various banking issues and, yeah. um, you know, regulatory issues. Cool. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Crazy. It's I know you said you wanted to, I know you said your goal was always to kind of lobby at some level. So it's cool that you're doing that. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, you know, you- I, you know, I like it. I, I just got my MBA a while back. And so it's a lot, it's nice because I can really utilize it in this job. Yeah. Um, more so than I could in the past. And since I paid for it, I kind of want to use it at some point. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny how that works. Huh? <laughs> go figure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that, uh, I think this job, I, I love my boss. He's great. He's a great person to, uh, to learn from. And he's been in the industry, 
uh, it's funny because he also has similar. Him and I always joke about our DC experiences because he was back to, back there during 9/11. Oh wow! And um, so he would tell me about you know he was working on Capitol Hill when the Pentagon got hit and Jesus, um, you know. So I, you hear those stories, and I had a boss back uh, when I was working on the Senate Small Business Committee. She was also working on the Hill um, when 9/11 happened, and you know just kind of hearing some of those stories. It's super cool and sharing some of my experiences that I had when I was back there, uh, you know, and comparing them with what he was talking about or his experiences, even though there's probably about a 20 year gap, it's really cool to, you know, kind of talk about some of that stuff. So, yeah, it's interesting you say that because the other night I actually got, I got drink. I say I get, got dinner with him, but we got drinks, uh, with a guy who played football about six years before I did at Boise state. Okay. And it was cool swapping stories with him because, you know, it was kind of different, but it was very similar, you yeah. know? So it was, it, it's cool. Uh, it's cool that you have that connection with your boss. Yeah. It was, you know, it was, uh, yeah, I, I really lucked out. It was yeah. cool. And, and like I said, hearing some of those stories about, I mean, you guys were in, weren't you and Debbie in DC? Did you guys swing by DC when you were uh, yes. there last summer? Yeah, we drove through. We went to, uh, the French restaurant. That's with right. The, That's yeah, right. With the burgers. Uh, Lay dip. Le Diplomat. Le Diplomat, yeah. The yeah. best hamburgers in D.C. And, <laughs> you know, just I think I've ever had. So, small caveat. <laughs> when we were... So, my wife and I, Debbie, we went to... Uh, we just did like a huge road trip on the East Coast um, for our honeymoon. And when we went through D.C., we told Zach and Alex, uh, you and your wife or not married yet. You and your fiancé. Thanks, COVID. <laughs> Thanks, COVID. Um but we to- told you guys that we were going through DC. You guys told us like all these places to go when we were there. And Le Diplomat was one of the places. And supposedly they had a bottle of wine and they were supposed to pay for our dinner and stuff. But they like... And they t- probably paid for someone else. Yeah, they like... We didn't even know that you guys did that for us until afterwards. You're like, you're like, hey, so how was dinner? Was it good? And we we're like, yeah, it was fine, whatever. And like, you're like, uh, are you going to say thank you? Yeah. <laughs> Well, Alex, it was Alex's idea. She's very thoughtful like that. Yeah. Um, and so I, we called probably, that's why I, I kept texting you. Hey, when's your reservation? When's your reservation? Yeah. And um, I called them probably, I think it was earlier that day or the, the night before. Yeah. And they were just like, oh yeah, we'll just write a note with reservation. Yeah. And uh, I guess it never happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because that place is a french restaurant yeah but they have one of the best hamburgers i've ever had so you did like it oh yeah yeah it was awesome delicious right? I, I think i told you the cheese that we got was like the best it's like a gourmet like whopper i don't know it's it's yeah, a double patty oh god it's so good i don't know how to explain it but yeah it's a very i mean you can tell it's like a fancy restaurant burger but it yeah. was delicious yeah okay sorry to go off on that no, tangent but i don't know we times. were talking about dc oh yeah yeah um, and the reason why I brought that up is because, uh, you guys visited, uh, the Capitol and stuff when you were yeah, back there, right? Yep. And did you guys cross like, um, 395 bridge or Memorial bridge going into Virginia? Like, we, did you guys go to the Pentagon or drive by the Pentagon? We did drive by the Pentagon. Yeah. So, um, and was it right there on your right as you were on the freeway? I, Can you remember? honestly, I don't remember. Anyway. So, uh, what happened some of the stories, um, and this is a common theme when you talk to people that are still working there that work there on 9-11, is that so all the metros and everything immediately shut down and nothing was running. The city was basically at a standstill. And so everybody that lived um, across the river in Virginia, basically, uh, Roslyn, Arlington, or, or Alexandria, yeah, um, 
they had to walk home. And so they oh. said that the bridges were full of people just walking home from work because How bizarre. they are. And no, it was like, you know, dead man walk. And I don't mean that, in a, yeah, yeah. you know, just like everybody just kind of walking, like you never see that. And yeah. because the streets were shut down, everything was shut down. Everything was so chaotic. And they were like, you know, everybody had heard while this was happening that the Capitol was next. Yeah. And so like, imagine if you're a 22, 23 year old staffer and you're hearing that like your office is being targeted and, yeah. you know, so then everyone starts freaking out. Everyone starts running out of the Capitol and it was just, I could not imagine the stress and, and the fear living or working there that day. Like yeah. It, so flight, flight 93 supposedly was going to go hit the, yeah, that's the, the one that, crashed in pennsylvania right yeah yeah which uh i mean i i've heard some theories about if it actually crashed or if it was shot down oh really you're you're an insider no did they shoot it down (laughs) i have no information for you um i was gonna say so i i have this written on my notes uh but you're like my go-to guy for like political or policy questions um so like i don't know whenever (laughs) anything comes up i feel like i always text you i'm like hey what's going on like what's biden doing about this or like what's trump doing about this or and i feel like i have no answers i never have any answers well you i mean you know political strategy and stuff though like why people would do certain things sure so yeah um okay before we get any further you brought you brought us some scotch did so the last time I brought beer and there was a little bit left and I've been trying to finish it so I figured you know I'd bring it over right on you said it's your favorite scotch it is the Dalmore uh just 12 years uh, but uh fancy but uh I really like it it's a uh, scotch from the Highlands region in uh, northern Scotland all right uh, I don't know a whole lot about scotch, but uh, yeah. I know enough to kind of make me dangerous. But uh, you know what I, you know what I do, like, because I don't know a lot about scotch either. Yeah. I'll take a sip of it and I'll go like, "Ooh, that's peaty." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then people think you know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right, cheers, man. Uh, um, so my question, like, mm-hmm. one of the reasons I wanted to have you on was because, like, we didn't delve too far into stuff the last time we chatted. We talked a little bit about your experiences in China. Um, but you also got to do a lot of cool stuff in the U S as well. Cause you were on, I mean, were you on the foreign affairs committee or like, no. So, um, what happened was, so my boss, he sat on the foreign affairs committee. Um, but each office, whether you sit on the house side or the, uh, Senate side, they have staff members called, um, uh, MLAs, but it stands for military legislative assistant. Okay. And so basically you are the go-to person uh, for your member on all things military related. Uh, And a lot of times in a lot of offices, um, you know, that kind of mixes with your MLA mixes and and also helps you out with your foreign affairs stuff just because naturally that's kind of the, the, um, the conversations go to the same place basically. Um, And so I was the MLA for, uh, for my boss for about two years Um, and so, and I also helped out a little bit with the foreign affairs stuff and that's kind of where that experience came from. But yeah, I was able to go to pretty, a lot of really cool places in the U S um, like like military bases, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, did a lot of cool things. Um, got to see a a lot of cool stuff. (laughs) So I don't know, are you allowed to talk about specifics? Yeah. For the most part, yeah. So I was going to ask you, you got to go on a submarine, right? I did. I, uh, I I was actually on the USS Boise. 
Which um, is so cool. Yeah, it's a... Uh, <laughs> I didn't even know they had one named after mm-hmm. Boise, but... So I got the whole history before I left. The USS Boise was actually a destroyer in World War II. Okay. Um, and part of its role was shelling the coast of Okinawa when the troops were storming the beaches, you know, kind of during that... It wasn't the last... I don't I don't know if it was the yeah. last well, battle they, or like, not, but... It was one of the pivotal moments in World War in the Pacific Theater in World War Two. Anyway, yeah. it was one of the destroyers that was sitting off the coast that was shelling the the coast, uh, allowing for U.S. U.S. troops to um, storm the beach, basically. Yeah. But anyway, it it became decommissioned. I think in after the war, uh, right around in between 1945 and 1950, and my dates might be totally off but um and then i think it was actually sold to the argentinian navy okay and then it was finally decommissioned i think in the 70s or 80s um but yeah anyway they uh they um renamed the uss boise became a uh, los angeles class nuclear fast attack sub which is just a nuclear powered submarine basically yeah um and its home port i believe is in norfolk um but it was actually out in the Bahamas when I got on it. Um, it was doing some exercises. They have a big training facility down there uh, where you can shoot like torpedoes and stuff like that. Um, and we flew down to Orlando, actually. And uh, we got on, I think at the, it's like the Kennedy Port or the Port of Orlando. I think there's a, there's a, it's kind of like a naval base down there. It's not a full on like, you know, that you would see in San Diego or Norfolk or up at Whigby Island up in Washington, but it's, it's a small naval base and we were able to get on there. Um, and we, it was, it was a full day. We, um, we got on probably about seven, seven in the morning, seven 30. And then, uh, they dropped us off at probably seven, six or seven. So it was about 12 hour day on, on the sub. And it was really cool. We, um, we went out, a ways like we it, it, right well let me back up right when we got on um they kind of gave us a quick tour it's not it's not big at all yeah and um part of that tour is we were able to look through the periscope oh no way and when it was my turn to look through the periscope we were actually just off the coast of the kennedy space center oh no and way. so i was able to see like the launch pads and all that Whoa. stuff through the periscope and it cool. was yeah it was really cool yeah and uh so anyway after we did that then we headed out um i don't know how far out we we were off the coast of florida but we had to go out i think we headed east for almost about five five hours because there's a there's a continental shelf right there. Yeah, and we were they were going to show us some of its uh, defensive and evasive maneuvers and just show us the capabilities of the sub basically. Yeah, and um, they wanted to dive like four or five hundred feet or whatever, and yeah. so to be able to do that, they had to pass have the, the room. Shelf. Yeah, yeah, to be able to do that, and so uh, we were out there. We got we got a tour of the boat. Got to talk to everybody. Um, it's really cool because inside it's all decorated in blue and orange for Boise state. And they've got like pictures of the Fiesta Bowl everywhere in the cafeteria. Yeah. And they, they're like, Oh yeah. Cause the, without getting into too much, too many details, you, um, they're underwater for a while before they can surface. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think people know that like when you get, um, but the capability of how long they can stay. Underwater. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, anyway, so they're like, we have to pass the time. So they'll like rewatch the 2007 Fiesta Bowl, like in the cafeteria. <laughs> oh, no and, yeah. And they've got like blue and orange placemats. And so do they have any like real ties to Boise? Like are any of the people that are working on the ship? Um, 
from Boise? No, I don't or think anything? it works like that. Yeah. No, it's just luck of the draw. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so once we finally got out to the appropriate area where you could dive, we did uh, like a quick dive, and um, and then we could we did like a um, I forget what the official term is, but like a quick surface. Okay. Where the sub is basically going straight up Whoa. and we got to breach the surface and then you know how it comes up Kinda and like it splashes splat. down no and, way yeah that was really cool do you have to like get strapped in for it uh no but they say like you're it's almost like you, perfect example is like uh when you're on a roller coaster and you're like ticking up to the top before you drop down that's kind yeah. of that's kind of the angle that you're at and okay. the kind of feeling and they just say hey hold on because it does not take very long for it to surface jesus yeah. That's scary. So it was, it was cool. And then they kind of told us a, a little bit about some of the stories um, that the sub has been through. Yeah. Um, one of the stories that really kind of resonated was, uh, what was, it was in 2011, I believe, was when Muammar Gaddafi was, the, was it the he was, um, Libyan Civil War? Yeah. And NATO started bombing up. Wasn't that in 2011 when he was finally removed from office? It must have been, yeah, because Obama was president. Yeah, and he ordered the strikes on Tripoli, I think, or yeah. something. Anyway, so... So uh, they went, like, into the Mediterranean? So they were in the Mediterranean. Whoa. And their role was, they actually were probably about 100 miles or so off the coast of Tripoli. Yeah. And they were submerged at an undisclosed depth, depth. And um, what their role was is they were just sitting there monitoring uh, who was coming and going out of the Tripoli Harbor. Whoa. And so they were just sitting off the coast, kind of like just quiet, everything turned off, just kind of monitoring who was coming and so going. So do, do the ships that are going through, though, don't they have like sonar? Couldn't they tell that the yeah I don't the sub was sitting there? Works. There's some stuff. Oh yeah. It helps out. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, anyway, um, so yeah, it was, that was kind of their role during that whole kind of, you know, it, I, I'm sure it was longer than this, but they're that whole weekend, you know, uprising and NATO's involvement in that. But yeah, yeah. so they kind of sat there for a few days and, and monitored, um, who was coming and going out of the Harbor. There. I feel like I've heard, maybe it was from you or maybe, maybe I was reading it on the internet or something, but how sh- like, some of the submarines, and I, I assume they're U.S. submarines, because we probably have some of the most powerful subs in the world next to, like, Russia. I mean, I'm sure Russia and the U.S. have similar capabilities. But the subs would go into the Mediterranean, and they'd, like, surface, and they'd launch a bunch of missiles, and then they'd go back under and then just, like, leave the Mediterranean. So it's like yeah. it's like the enemies don't know where the missiles are coming from. Yeah. I don't know. I, I do know that they also sit at the, the mouth of the Med and they monitor who comes and goes. Yeah. Uh, Which is like Gibraltar, like that mm-hmm. area. Yeah. 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 So it's pretty cool. You hear some of those cool stories uh, yeah. like that. And, uh, you know, it's it's funny because not a lot of people think, know that there is a USS Boise out there, let alone that it's a submarine. I didn't know about it until you told me. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, it's been involved in a lot of... Um, you know, noteworthy engagements within the last decade or so. Yeah. And, uh, Dude, you're such a, cool. you're such a political diplomat. Oh. The, the way you talk about stuff. <laughs> Engagements. <laughs> I just say, I'm like an idiot. I just say they shoot missiles. No. It's... <laughs> um, okay. So, so you got to hang out on the USS Boise and that sounds like it was awesome. Yeah. But you said you also got to do some stuff in San Diego too. Yeah. So I've, I, uh, there was, I've been on a few trips. There was the, the, the notable ones were that one, um, San Diego and then Alaska. Okay. Um, but the San Diego trip, it was just a very quick overnight trip. Um, 
we flew, we left DC like early in the morning, got to San Diego, did some stuff, and then actually uh, spent the day on a destroyer. And then we flew out the, the that night, took a red eye back to DC. But it was really cool because we, um, and it was just a, it was a small group of us. Um, and we got to San Diego, we boarded the destroyer and they were, uh, leaving port to do some exercises. Um, they weren't deployed or anything. They were coming in. I think they were going to spend a couple days out at sea and then come back and do some training and stuff. Yeah. Um, so that for their first day, we were able to kind of join them and, uh, we got on and, um, we were probably 200 miles off the coast. We weren't that far. Yeah. And it just kind of, again, similar to the sub story, they just kind of showed us its maneuverability, its evasive capabilities. Yeah. Uh, we were trying to get them to f- shoot some stuff, but uh, <laughs> they, they, do they, yeah, they couldn't do it. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it was super cool how, f- like, cause we were just doing like at full speed doing uh, zigzags or like S's in the, okay. in the ocean kind of, again, to show its maneuverability and, and stuff like that. And that yeah. was, that was really cool. And, um, and then when the day was over, cause we got there at, cause they were, they were leaving port at probably 6am. So we got there at five Yeah. and we were out there until probably about three or so. So it was a pretty good day. Yeah. Um, and then instead of coming back to port to drop us off, they actually had a helicopter come out and uh, it landed on the destroyer, picked us up. Oh, no and then, way. yeah. And then we were able to, we took off and then we headed back to San Diego and, and landed back at the naval base there. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, that was a cool experience. Yeah, was, that's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So, I, what did you get your undergrad in? It was actually just history. Okay. Yeah. But didn't you, did you do something like with an emphasis in military tactics or something? No, it was actually just Eastern European oh, okay. studies or whatever. Gotcha. Um, but I know you were interested in going to like the Air Force College. Or... Yeah. So I actually, I did that. Um, oh God, now that you brought, bring that up, I, I'm sure people that uh, have military experience know exactly what it is. It's kind of equivalent to the Naval War College, basically. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you can get like a leadership degree and, and since you were working on Congress or in Capitol Hill, it's, it was free for us. Yeah. And I think it's free for military personnel that are, are getting their master's or graduate degrees as well. Yeah. Um, it was like the air war college or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it was like in combat history and leadership studies or something like that. I can't remember. Okay. It was, it was a while ago. The, re- the reason I ask is because I have watched a few, few videos on, Pearl Harbor and then Midway. Mm. And what blows my mind about those things is it's been, it's been so long since that happened. You think back about those times. It doesn't seem like there's, you know, a lot of technology that's equivalent to what we have today on how to like record things and figure out what exactly happened, how many rounds people shot, all those Mm -hmm. things. But some of the accounts that I was watching and reading about they know like at exactly what time certain things happened. They know like how many passes certain airplanes make, like how many bullets they fired, how many torpedoes were dropped into the water and all that stuff. And it's mind blowing to me to think about in the forties, they're able to like scribe all that stuff. Like who's the person writing that down or like, I don't know. Is there a guy on the ground taking notes? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I, I agree. I think that that's super cool. And, um, 
you know, thinking back and, and reading about it and watching, watching documentaries and, um, movies about, you know, how things were done back then. I, today, it seems like we've got things so easy. But, yeah. And um, the same with world war one too. Cause I got a, I got a new book, um, called the great war and it's just all about the tactics and it literally goes through every single battle and tells how many men were lost on each battle and like yeah. how they flank each other. And it's like, who the hell was sitting out there recording all this stuff? But yeah. I guess it's super important from a military perspective to record everything and find out what works, what doesn't work. That's I always thought that uh, it would be super cool to go to like uh, one of the academy schools, like the Naval Army, Army uh, or Air Force uh, yeah. Academy. Um just because the history classes and stuff, I mean, that's strategy and stuff like that. That's what you learn. And, um, you, I, I know that they take history lessons all the way back from the revolutionary war. And before that, and, yeah. you know, tactics and how they've evolved and why they did things the way they did and stuff like that, I thought would always be really neat to, to learn about and study. Yeah. Well, I think they study like, I'm sure they study Roman tactics yeah. and, the, and how relevant it is today. Why yeah. They do things. You yeah. Know, kind of thing. So, and like Napoleon, I mean, I'm sure they study the crap out of Napoleonic tactics. Um, and then yeah, world war one, world war two, but it's interesting thinking like there might not ever be fighting like that again, just because yeah. of the threat of nukes. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's interesting for sure. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. It's, it's funny how romanticized like the trench warfare is. With, did you see 1917? No, I haven't seen it you yet. You haven't seen it no, yet? No, I want oh, to. Dude, Is it's it good? so good. Really? It's incredible. And then Debbie actually just finished um, All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's Which a good book. She said it was mind-blowing. I, I think I had to read it. Maybe I had to read it like in Mrs. Franklin's class, like junior year of high school. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> dude, I forgot about that class, too. I was thinking back about the classes I slacked off in and... Junior English might have been the one that I never paid attention to. I think it was probably every class I took <laughs> in high school. Uh, we passed, though. Somehow we passed. Barely. Um, but she said it was crazy finding out that that book is written from a German point of view. Because oh, yeah. she always thought it was an ally. Like when she was reading through it. But it's like the Germans went through the exact same thing as the allies did. Mm -hmm. You know, They were just dudes that got recruited and yeah. didn't, did not want to be there. Yeah. So... Yeah, no, that's a good book. I haven't read that book, I think, since high school. Yeah. That's a good one to pick up. Yeah, uh, definitely on my list because I'm, I'm almost done. I picked up another book recently, but I'm going to re-delve back into the World War One stuff with that military strategy book. And it looks like it's not crazy complicated to read, so I'm looking forward to it. Because, <laughs> I, dude, I was reading that. I don't know if I told you. I was reading this book about Roman history. Yeah. And it kind of read like a textbook. And oh, it was really? like... When I got about halfway through it, it's like, okay, I can't, I can't give up on it, but it was like a chore to finish the rest yeah. of it. Yeah. And it's like, they introduced so many characters and I'm like, okay, you can just say the guy that was ruling <laughs> at this point. Cause I'm not going to be able to keep track of all this crap. Um, okay. So something else I, I wanted to ask you about was China and yeah. I, have you been keeping up on like Huawei and that stuff? Huawei or? and TikTok and all oh, that crap. Um, kind of, I have not, uh, been reading the headlines i haven't honestly i haven't dived too deep into it yeah. um but uh but yeah i mean it seems like that's if you're gonna wage warfare nowadays it like i feel like it's much easier to do it with propaganda 
and try to like infiltrate elections and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much of that stuff is true or not, but just putting from, I, I know that again, from a political standpoint, I think that it's super hard to come out and say that you're going to ban something like that from the United States solely for the, the purpose of, or claiming that, you know, China's spying on Americans through that. Isn't that kind of what the president came th- out and said last week? I think it is. They, his reasoning for it. Yeah, because you put your personal information down there, and then whatever China's collecting things with it, or maybe yeah. you maybe you consent to something when you download the app, yeah. and maybe they're accessing your microphone or like accessing your camera and mapping the inside of your house or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I think that uh, you know I, I I think it's really interesting because he's you got to you got to keep in mind that he's uh at this point in time everything's from a strategic standpoint on his kind of mind mindset yeah uh because of the election yeah and so um you know there have been a few things where he's come out and said uh you know not only banning tiktok from um from uh, people being able to use it in america but also moving the, the election and um you know just from a not to get too deep into it but um, a, he doesn't have the authority to do that. That's got to be a congressional act yeah. and it's not going to happen with the house and the Senate split like the way they are. Yeah. Um, so for him even to throw that out there, it just creates more, uh, ammo for the opposite party yeah. that's been out there saying that, you know, we're going to have to physically remove him from office because before that, before this, he had never made a statement or insinuated or anything that he's not going to go, you know, if he loses the election, He's, he's going to walk out of the White House, right? Yeah. And then somewhere, this narrative came out that he's going to, like, you know, cement himself into the Oval Office and we're going to have to bring in the military to remove him. Yeah. And, you know, when you throw out this idea or this notion that, you know, we should move elections, whether it be up or back or wherever, you know, you just kind of add to that narrative. And um, so... I while I say he's being strategic, I feel like he's also kind of being an idiot. Well, feel, he's been an idiot for a while, but yeah, I think he's an idiot too. Like there's, there's certain things that he's done where it's like, Oh my God, if you would have just kept your mouth shut, yeah. like or, all, all the articles that would have been written about this would have been awesome. Yeah. But you said this one thing that fucked it all up. Um, I do feel bad for his comms team because I know how hard it is to manage yeah. a member. Stop um, tweeting. Stop putting stuff out. <laughs> and then when they go rogue like that and you know, it's just like, it, it makes it tough. And well, it, that's it, the thing is like, stressful. everyone had been saying he's going to try to delay the election. He's going to move yeah. the election, all that stuff. And then did he just get a wild hair one morning? And he's like, I'm going to tweet that I'm going to move the election. Just see what happens. Right. And it like burned down social media yeah. and like front page of Drudge and like front page of CNN, Fox, everything had that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's just funny. I don't know. I think sometimes he just wants to stoke the fire and. Maybe it's his ego. One of the things, uh, real fast, it, this would just reminded me of uh, when you had mentioned China, but it's not really, it's Russia. Um, one of the things I had mentioned earlier, uh, the notable trips that we went on was yeah. to Alaska. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so, like, we went to uh, the um, J-Bear, which is the joint base in Anchorage, the Air Force Army base right there in Anchorage. And then okay. we went up to... I believe it was Fort Wainwright up in uh, Fairbanks. Okay. But at J-Bear, if you walk into like the central command area, um, so what they do is um, they are, they've got a, uh, I wish I could remember the actual name for it. Yeah. But it's basically a um, 
squadron of F-22s oh, that wow. sit there on, uh, and they're totally, they're alert, they're ready because if any, uh, any, a lot of the times it's a Russian, uh, like a spy plane will come over towards Alaska. Yeah, um, then they are dispatched. I'm using air quotes and <laughs> they go and intercept it basically. Yeah. Which and happened fairly recently. It right? happens all the time actually. Didn't it happen like two days ago? Yeah, yeah. It happens quite often. And, uh, anyway, we were able to talk to that, those guys and they have, it's kind of like, uh, I don't, I don't know. You, you and your dad were talking about the fire department and stuff. And, and the way I imagine it is you have, you know, a team up 24 hours a day or you rotate, but yeah. there's somebody that's always up 24 hours, kind of on alert, call. kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And they have the same thing. And, um, what happened and we got to see them kind of, uh, when the sound go- or when the call comes in, we got to see them drop everything, run, get, you know, Whoa. dressed and, and, you know, take off and go intercept the, yeah. um, I think it's like the bear bomber is what they always like to fly close to the U S airspace right there off the coast of Alaska. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but what's even more cool is that in the central command area, they have little plaques um, for every single uh, intercept that that squadron has made Whoa. dating back to the start of the Cold War. Wow. And so the wall is literally, it's probably, I don't know, I'm grossly exaggerating here, but like 50, it's like a 50 foot wall and it's like covered from, you know, one side all the way around. And it's, so it happens all the time yeah. that they do this stuff. Have and they ever like actively engaged no, like a Russian fire. I don't think so. I don't. I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah. But I don't think so. But it's interesting because they, uh, how fast they they get up there. Like those F twenty twos. I mean, they're meeting them at like fifty thousand feet. Jesus. Three hundred miles off the coast. Yeah. Three hundred miles. Uh, in they're still in. I think um, every single. And I could be wrong. And uh, so no one fact check me. <laughs> um, but uh, I never. I don't think that they ever have crossed into U.S. airspace. I okay. Think they're, just kind of they flirt with that line and then that's within they if they get within a th- certain threshold then that's when the call goes out and that's when they intercept isn't them, it but. D- doesn't it seem like from a tactical perspective russia is just like they're like let's get the plane up there and just see what they do i think you, i think you're kind of testing them so they do the same the us does the same thing yeah um and you hear about it and you don't hear about about it every time but it happens very I shouldn't say very frequently, but it happens relatively frequently. Yeah, yeah. And um, they, I don't think they ever breach into each other's airspace. I think they, they stay within the international airspace uh, border or threshold, I guess. Yeah. But I think they flirt with those lines. And I think the U.S. does it as well. And I think it's just kind of a, hey, we're still here. You know, what are you guys up to type thing? Yeah. Um, Which uh, you just made me think of something else. Because I'm now I'm thinking about China and how... Um, I mean, I don't know if I've ever heard of U.S. fighters like violating Chinese airspace or if Chinese fighters have even gotten close to our airspace, like well, maybe in Hawaii or something. The biggest something. thing is that um, P-3 Poseidon plane, that naval naval plane, um, that's quote-unquote spy plane, I think the media likes to call it, Okay. Um, in the South China Sea with the islands. So, so that that's what I was going to ask you about is the South China Sea. And if people don't know about maritime law Mm -hmm. i think it's kind of international law that you get 200 miles off your coast and you can claim that as like your waters right but i don't know but china is claiming like a ton of stuff near vietnam and like i don't know what other countries are down there yeah you got vietnam cambodia uh thailand laos um, does is is japan 
near those waters? No, no. Japan's up north. Japan's north of Korea. Okay. Japan is borders Russia. Okay. But there's like those waters that they call the South China Sea. Mm -hmm. There's like five countries that claim that water, right? Yeah. And so that was was one of the biggest things that we were working on back there was because that was kind of the height of when they were building the islands. They were actually building the islands. So they, they built islands so they could say that they had land there so they could claim that 200 miles around the land, right? So the biggest thing that... The, the biggest threat um, was that we, th- the, the biggest threat that we heard from was obviously uh, Taiwan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I'm not entirely sure, what was that, five years ago already? I don't know. It's still going on, but yeah. uh, I can't remember the exact details, but we were hearing from uh, Taiwan weekly about what they were doing, what the administration, because keep in mind, this was the Obama administration back then, um, what the Obama administration was doing, they had a Taiwan had a, an election back then. It, they elected President Tsai, who's still in office, and she's the first female president. This was just after President Lee um, or President Ma, I think, from from Taiwan. Uh, he and President Xi had their first ever meeting, face to face meeting. Um, I forget if it was in Singapore or whatever, but so there was a, there was a lot of moving pieces going on. And I think, you know, obviously, um, you know, the, the, the issue was the South China sea, um, you know, Taiwan's existence, um, stuff like that. So, yeah. So to give a quick background, cause I actually took notes on this cause it confused the heck out of me when I started reading about Taiwan. So, so China, which is the People's Republic of China, is what they're known as. They claim Taiwan. PRC. Huh? The PRC. The PRC. They claim ta- Taiwan as part of China. Mm-hmm. The Republic of China is Taiwan. Democratically elected leadership. Yes. Yeah. But there, uh, so there's the People's Republic of China, and then there's the Republic, Republic of China. China. Mm-hmm. And that's, that. I, I don't know if it's internationally recognized or what it is. So, but, but yeah. they but they claim all of China as their own territory. So it's like these two different factions think they're the ones in charge and they're kind of like in a cold war right now. Yeah, and so um, that's honestly so there's there's a Taiwan caucus back in DC in Congress um, and their one of their biggest jobs is just to get members to join the caucus because if you join the caucus that essentially means that you recognize Taiwan as its own independent country oh, or wow. the the right China kind of thing. Does the UN recognize Taiwan? Um, I don't know. I yeah. can't remember off the top of my head. Probably not, right? Because China I, has so much pull. Well, China's part of the UN, so... Yeah. I mean, they're one of the leaders of five, the Five, they sit on the Security Council. Yeah. So, probably not. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think we talked about this last time. I we, we did a tour over in the whole island kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I talked about this a little bit, but... Um, they did a, the U.S. has sold uh, missile defense systems to Taiwan, um, and uh, they've kind of uh, placed them strategically throughout the island in anticipation of, you know, an attack from mainland China. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of the cool things, and again, it's air quotes when I say cool, was we were in, I think it was Taoshang, which is the city on the southern tip of Taiwan. Um, they have a naval base there yeah, and it's kind of mixed with, um, commercial fishing vessels. Okay. 
Um, and we were on board a Taiwanese uh, ship. I don't know what it, I can't remember what it was, but yeah. we were we were talking to the captain basically. And one of the things that was super interesting, because he was just like, look out into the harbor and tell me if you see anything interesting about the ships that are out there. Yeah. And I mean, me not knowing a whole lot, had no idea. And so I was just like, I don't know, whatever. And um, he was like, do you find it interesting that commercial fishing fishing vessels have that many antennas and stuff like that? And I was like, well, yeah, kind of. Now that now that you you point that out, you know, it is kind of odd and yeah. how close they are and stuff like that. And he's like, yeah, those are all um, Chinese intelligence uh, boats, and they monitor our traffic in and out of the harbor. Wow. And he's like, we know that they're there, and they know that we know that they're there. But again, it's just one of those factors of, hey, we're here, we're present. Yeah. We, want, we don't want you to forget that kind yeah. of thing. And so, like, that stuff goes on every single day over there. And yeah. it's just super interesting because it's very strategic on what they do. And it's just like, it's like chess, right? Yeah. You know, you got to be one step ahead. And, um, well, you isn't, know, it, isn't there stuff like that going on with the United States all the time? Like, we have 11 uh, aircraft carriers. <laughs> and I don't know how many of them are deployed. But it's like you just kind of... You put one in the Mediterranean. You put one over by China. Well, they 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 each each carrier group. I don't again don't know what the correct term is, but I think it's a carrier group. Yeah, yeah they have their own um, jurisdictions, basically your fleet. You know, one is in the Pacific, one's in um, you know the Atlantic kind of thing. One's in the Middle East. Yeah, and, uh, I don't know how else it's. I think there's seven of them. But it's like it's like having an air like a mobile air force base anytime anywhere like. And you have destroyers and subs and all that stuff that are attached to that fleet. So how many? I mean, carrier this, group or whatever. Yeah, it's I don't. Called. I don't think that this is classified information. Like, if I know this, obviously the Russians know this. So I don't think it's going to be a big deal if I talk about it. But like, so in a carrier group, there's an aircraft carrier, mm-hmm. there's one sub, and like one destroyer, and then like two smaller boats too. I'm not sure, but it's not classified. I mean, you could go to Wikipedia and, yeah. and see what the makeup is on that stuff. But I, I don't, I'm not but entirely it's, sure. It's it kind of cool to see that. Like I didn't, I didn't know that until recently. I started reading about those carrier groups, and they're, I mean, it's like a, it's a group of different ships that all support each other in different yeah. ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also seen like the logistics of the military and how they restock those with carriers. shooting the lines across, yeah. and then that's so cool. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, did you see? Uh, they they like shoot like a I don't know like a he- super heavy cable across, yep. and like from a from a distribution ship or whatever. They'll like throw pallets across. Yeah. Yeah. That's so crazy. So I was thinking that exact thing last week because I read an article that there was a, uh, I forget what carrier it was, but it was entering the Mediterranean and they were, the article was basically that it's headed home and they hadn't, they hadn't docked or ported in six months because of COVID. That's and crazy. so you say that and it's like, man, I don't know how long they, how, the, how much supplies they get yeah. that lasts them that long or how often they have to do that. But yeah. it's almost like the air force having a, a tanker a refueler, right? Yeah, That's, yeah. It's, I feel like one of these ships is constantly just kind of roaming the area and going to supply each one of these, Yeah, you know, if they can't dock yeah. kind of thing. Um, when I was getting super into world war one, I started reading about all these plans that they had for like Zeppelins and they wanted to have mobile aircraft carriers, but like as a balloon ship that would go around. And so, so you'd have your fighter planes that could drop off the ship and go do their battles or whatever, you know, on in Germany or wherever it was. And then they'd fly back up and reattach to that Zeppelin 
and oh, that wow. was like carrying all their fuel for them. But obviously, I mean, the Zeppelin thing never really worked out. So but. I always thought it was interesting, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you know a lot more about World War One than I do. But I don't uh, think I do. No, I think you do. Um, <laughs> you have a degree in history. <laughs> doesn't mean I did anything. Or <laughs> learned anything. Um, but uh, I was watching. <laughs> I was watching Wonder Woman the other day. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of world. <laughs> Doesn't it take place during World War One? Yeah, yeah. And I just thought it was super interesting how they like they have these little tiny bombs that they just pick up out of their. They fly over their target and they oh. just hand drop these little bombs and yeah. stuff. Yeah, all that stuff started during World War One. So they the whole thing with um, how planes were utilized in World War One is they started each side started um, going up in their planes so they could surveil like where the trenches were. And so they would like dudes would be sitting in their planes watching them shell the other trenches and they'd say, you got to dial it back, whatever, two degrees or, um, and that's how it started. But then both sides would be up in their planes at the same time and they would bring up like their pistols. And so they'd be shooting at each other with their pistols. (laughs) And then eventually it was like, okay, we should mount guns onto our plane. And then obviously like the red Baron, I don't know what the guy's real name was. Um, but he had a, it wasn't a biplane. It was actually like a triplane. Mm-hmm. And he shot down, I don't know, like 50 other planes. And, and that's why he got a, this. And he had something mountain, or mounted. Yeah, mounted. I think yeah, I think they had guns mounted. Because I think that was a little bit later um, in the First World War. But yeah, that's when like dogfighting started. Isn't yeah. that crazy? Yeah. I It was pretty cool. I mean, I'm a big fan of that movie. Yeah. I'm excited for the second one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 1984, or is that what it's called? Yeah, it was actually, it's uh, a lot of the uh, footage is, I think, uh, I don't know if there, there's a lot, but it seems like there's a lot, is actually was filmed in D.C. Oh, okay. And so when we were back there, we Alex and I were notorious for just, you know, walking around on Saturdays and stuff. And they filmed in Georgetown. And so, like, the whole block was shut off. And, Did like, you stand there and watch? There's a bunch of, like, ni- there were, like, 1980s cars parked on the street. Oh, and everyone's so cool. dressed in. Yeah, it was pretty cool to see. Yeah, nice. But, um, that's a cool movie. So something else I brushed up on, because speaking of World War One, we talked about Rasputin last time. Oh, yeah. And, dude, I watched so much crap about Rasputin just to try to, like, understand where he came from or who he was or whatever. But he was... I think he was like ultra Orthodox. Mm -hmm. Um, And he joined this like super weird sect of the Orthodox church where they would, he like went out into the woods for a while with like a bunch of other men. And part of this sect of the Orthodox church was they would like dance around until they got themselves into like an insane frenzy. And they like kind of got themselves high. Do you know about this? No. And then they and then they would have an orgy. All these all these dudes would have an orgy like in the name of God because they thought that they couldn't they had to like feel sin in order to get over sin and like get closer to God. And so it was like this really strange thinking. And uh So how did he make his way to St. Petersburg? So I think he got command of this weird sect of the Orthodox church and he was kind of notorious. Like everyone thought he was like the second coming and they uh, thought he was amazing. And, you know, so um, kind of Charles Manson it. Yeah. Kind of Charles Manson his way in. Um, but he, he got his way in with the czar and the czar's wife and I've it's Nicholas and What's the gal's name? I don't know, but real fast. Did you know that he was the cousin of like King George of England at that time? 
uh, Great Britain? Rasputin or... was? No, no, no. Or Tsar Nicholas. Nicholas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think we so talked like, about that. So uh, like, who's the queen? Elizabeth? What? Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth? Yeah. She's like long lost cousins with the former... That Isn't is that insane. nuts? Yeah, it's how weird. How all that stuff is connected. And I think we talked about that the we, last time. Yeah, I just think it's... Once you get to an elite level, it's like... Yeah, uh, our cousin in France needs a wife, so you go over there and marry her, and then we'll have some political influence. Yeah. Yeah, but um, so the czar's wife was super into, like, witchcraft and, like, alternative medicine and all this stuff, and their kid had the... this. She be, she became interested in all that stuff after the kid had... They found out the kid had hemophilia. Yep, yep. So he had a bleeding problem, and they were trying to look for solutions for it. And so she got into all this different alternative medicine, and they had these female, um, I don't know if they were nuns or something that would live with the family that would pray with her and try mm-hmm. to, you know, give her alternative means of medicine. And, um, Rasputin somehow knew those two women and invited him to come meet her. And then eventually mm-hmm. like he was super good at like, you know, making people trust him and twisting their words and all this stuff. And eventually he was, um, I, it was over a long period of time. I think it was like over a year. He eventually became the person that she would just keep around all yeah. the time. Well, because her argument was that whenever he was around, whatever he was doing, the kid wouldn't have issues if he was bleeding, right? Yep, like yep. they, it would stop and and they would move on. Which kind of thing, but. still to this day, it's a mystery yeah. how Rasputin stopped that kid from bleeding. Yeah. So it's like, was he actually magical? No, he was just weird. <laughs> I think he was, he was just weird. But so when I was watching this stuff and, and learning a little bit more about Rasputin, he was notorious for just like having sex with everyone. Yeah, I remember and that. So like all these young nuns and people studying for the Orthodox Church, he would like talk them into having sex with them. Yeah. And so he got a super bad rap um, with the czar. And I think eventually... Eventually, they uh, assassinated him, but they they took it to an extreme where they like chopped him up into little pieces and like burned him and stuff because they, I think they tried to kill him a couple times before and he wouldn't die, yeah. and they thought he was like super magical because he couldn't die, and so they. Well, I know that um, I think the czar's advisors and stuff because uh, Russia was fighting a war which. Japan, I think, at, the, at this point in time, okay. leading up to uh, World War One. Okay. And so he's getting a lot of pressure back home. And with Rasputin and stuff, I think that that was kind of, um, he was starting to make his way into public policy, I think, a little bit. Yeah. Um, and his advisors were saying, hey, you need to get get control of this. You need to get control of this. Like, he's ruining, you know, this this has, this is starting to be, have potential to ruin your... Um, you know, your, your throne basically. Yeah. And I think it was like his wife. And, and I think he, he kind of talked to his wife about it and his wife was basically like, how could you do this? Like he is the rightful heir to the throne. Like he is the most important person in this family right now. The son. Yeah. Yeah. The because son. they didn't want Nicholas or whatever. The and he was the only was. son. They had like four daughters and then finally they had a son. Yeah. And so this son was like put up on a pedestal his entire life. Yep. And so, you know, I think the czar kind of was, was hearing it from both sides. And then, you know, once his wife was kind of like, well, how could you do this? Like he is curing our son. I think he was kind of torn and I'm no, you know, Russian historian by any means, but, uh, you know, it, it was, it's a super interesting story for sure. And then they finally, with the revolution, they ran him out and killed them all. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's the most interesting. I think he's the most interesting character like in modern history because Rasputin. yeah, because he just whittled his way into being around this family and like influencing their foreign policy and like yeah. tactics they were using during World War 1 and like you look up pictures of that guy and he looks like Creepy. the devil. Yeah. yeah, he looks weird. And he's got a weird I think that just the the mystery that surrounds him to this day like with movies and and how he's portrayed in yeah. in the media, well, I guess in the media movies or yeah, Hollywood yeah, yeah. or whatever you want to call it, but um, I do think that it, I agree. It's just, it's very, very interesting how someone, how kind of like a no name guy can just kind of weasel his way into a very, cause at this time, I mean, you're talking about the Russian empire, which is, yeah. um, you know, huge. Yeah. Um, did you know that they preserved his penis? So that was one of the rumors about him too, was that he had a very large member and they <laughs> Chopped it off, and it's in a jar. Uh, I don't know where it is. I think it's like it it's might like be in like Amsterdam. Putin's shelf. No, no, no. I think it's in. I think it's in like a Western, um, you like read museum. That on Reddit? No, I, dude. There are <laughs> pictures of it. I've looked at it. <laughs> it's crazy. It's just crazy that that like you can go and look at Rasputin's wiener in a in a museum. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, okay. Do you want to move on? Is that from... why you guys went to Amsterdam? <laughs> For the do, roses, right? Do you want to move? Or the tulips? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to move on from that, this topic? Sure. Um, okay. So, so keeping it kind of with defense and military and stuff, a lot of people, you know, there's been a lot of protests recently, like in Portland and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And, you know, obviously it started with the Black Lives Matter things, but then the feds, came in to mm-hmm. Portland and I think the excuse was we got to protect federal property right which doesn't sound unreasonable right. to it was a courthouse right there in Portland yeah I think it was a courthouse and then like the federal building and mm-hmm. stuff um, and you know you watch some of those videos and it seems kind of shady because there's unmarked police yeah. Yeah. going into like pulling people off the street and putting them in unmarked cars which is bizarre um, but it's so funny because you'd think the Democrats, with everything that's going on, they would have not passed the recent military budget. <laughs> but I think, like, literally everyone signed off on it. Yeah. And it expanded the the budget for Homeland Security. So, one thing about that, the budget's always the budget grows every year. If you look at it year after year after year. Yeah. Uh, it's called the National Defense Authorization Act. Yeah. Um, NDA is what they call it. Uh, it grows every single year. Yeah. Um, and again, I think we kind of talked about this. Everybody, whether you're military or not, you throw your pet project in this and you hope, you know, you keep your fingers crossed to see if it'll go through the finish it, line. In that act that's being passed, you just... You add something to it that that's not germane. Yeah, uh, you add an amendment, basically. Gotcha. You know, um, so if you want an amendment that will increase uh, whatever, you know, that's not not defense related, whether it be homeland security. Um, there could be a a PPE thing mm-hmm. in the homeland security bill that passes, or the defense bill, or the defense bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so it it grows every single year, um, and that's that's a point of consternation with a lot of people right because uh at this point with the dems it's like well you're growing the military we don't need the military this large we need to you know uh, we're putting all this money into what essentially what's this money going towards right and when the democrats are in power the republicans are like well you're growing this we're already in a massive amount of, of debt 
And it just seems like they forget about the dead argument when they're in power, and then the the Dems forget about their argument when they're in power. And so it just goes yeah. back and forth, which then just allows it to keep growing and well, growing the, and growing. Isn't the platform that like what Trump ran on and what Obama ran on and what Biden's running on now is like shrink the military and spend less on the military. Yeah. And like get out of Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> and then it's like, Oh no, well we need some more money. And like, well, here's, here's the thing that I find interesting is, I don't know. Did you see the headlines about Trump's announcement to withdraw 12,000 troops from Germany? Uh, yeah. Last yeah. Week? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, uh, He's got a point. This was a big issue when we were back there about, you know, everybody paying. They have to pay 2%. The, the NATO requirement, basically, is uh, f- for membership. Yeah. Is 2% of your GDP. Yeah. Is what you owe to NATO, basically, yeah. to be a member. And uh, there's really only, you know, I think, what, there's 26 members that are part of NATO. And I think there's probably only five, maybe a little more, maybe a little less that actually meet that, that threshold. The United States is one and the United States pays like 20% of its GDP or something. Yeah. Um, pull, pull the mic like down a little bit. And so, and so, um, I think there's, you could make an argument on every side of this, this whole thing. Um, but you know, is it so bad to keep, I don't agree with probably 90% of the stuff that he does. Yeah. But is it so bad to have one of the largest uh, countries in Europe, most advanced countries, whether it comes to their economy, uh, their military, you name it, to actually pay what they're required to pay. They've never paid. They're not not paying 2% to NATO. They're not paying 2%. They're paying like one and a half. Yeah. And so, so, and it's just been one of those things where it's like, yeah, well, Germany doesn't really do it, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, But you, but then you have countries that are uh, like small. I don't, I'm just throwing this out there. I don't know if they actually do or not, but because I can't remember which, which countries do and which don't. But then you have countries like Croatia or, you know, a country that like strives and works very hard to become part of NATO. And I think they joined NATO in 2005 or something. Yeah. And they actually are able to contribute what's required of them. But then you have countries like France and Spain and in Germany, you know, the big, big economic big. powers in Europe that, that don't, yeah. you know? And so part of me thinks that, is he going to, because uh, withdraw all these troops probably, Maybe not, you but know? it's a it's a tactic to get it's them. A tac- to- it's it's a conversation starter. Yeah, uh, and you know he likes to go big or go home, right? So yeah. I think that uh, because because in in uh, their defense, because he was talking about moving them to I think like the Azores and then um, somewhere else, I think in Spain are or the something. A- Azores are off the coast of po- Portugal, Portugal, but okay. they're still part of Spain. Okay. And the U.S. actually has a base on the Azores. Oh wow! Yeah, and um, there's an army striker division there located in Germany and uh, they were talking about moving them back to the U S and they're like, well, is that really the the best decision right now with Russia and stuff like that to not have this striker uh, division there and present? They were also talking about moving them into Poland. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, I mean, what do you do, right? If you're, if you're trying to hold people accountable um, it's like you having to pay rent, right. To live in your house yeah. and you only coming up with 75% of your rent yeah. at some point is someone going to say, okay, you got to, you got to pay it. Or is, is it, it still going to just be, well, you know, Spence and Debbie don't, don't pay their rent really fully. Is NATO being pressured by anyone else besides the U S or, or sorry, is, is NATO pressuring Germany 
like probably, anyone probably not no, no 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 probably not yeah they weren't when i was working on the issues yeah i mean i think again it's one of those things where it's just like let's not rock the boat yeah you know um that seems absolutely ridiculous but it but it does suck right because it's a it's a lose-lose argument right the u.s either just kind of accepts it or they're gonna say okay you got to pony up but then if you're gonna make germany pony up are you gonna make all the other countries pony up yeah. or What's, you know, kind of what's your strategy there? What, and I think what, that Angela Merkel and Trump have not seen eye to eye since day one. Yeah, no. And I think it's just another slap in the face to her from him. Yeah. Um, you know, if this is his, if this, if this is his parting, you know, gift to her, basically, yeah. you know, he wants to make it noticeable. Yeah. And uh, who knows? I don't know if he'll get elected or not, but, um, you know, it seems like this is a move right up his alley. So, yeah. So, do you know what percentage of the United States GDP they contribute to NATO? Is it right right at 2% or do oh, they contribute more? No, they, they contribute a lot more. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It's like 5% or something. I don't know. I, again, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. It's, it's easily you can find that online. Yeah. Uh, but it's always been more. Yeah. Because they cover for the smaller countries like the... Uh, Baltic countries and Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, you know, those yeah. countries that um, have finally been able to break free of, of uh, Russia Russia, or... and wanting to join the West and modernize and um, get get on track. And Dude, you know what I was going to ask you? What? There's an enclave of Russia still in like the middle of Europe. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's uh, it's... Right in between, like Lithuania, yeah, it splits it, and because you have like Latvia or Estonia, and then Russia, and then Lithuania or something like that. It's pretty big. It's yeah. like as big as like Virginia. <laughs> I had no idea there was like a Russian enclave. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I was just looking, like, you know, I I like daydreaming about going back to Europe and uh, yeah, we do too. Yeah, but it's like, how cool would it be to visit that little part of Russia? Yeah, I mean, I know you. We'd probably have to apply for a visa or something. Sure. I mean, I don't know what it what you have to do to get into Russia right now is yeah, a, you got to get a visa. Yeah. Traditionally, that's what it's been. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of interesting rules about some of those Eastern European places like Moldova. Cause we were, we were looking to fly into Kiev and do a road trip and like drive along the black sea and go to, um, Bulgaria. And what's the other one that starts with a B, um, South of Bulgaria near um, Greece. See, this is why I need to have like a map up in this room. Well, you, you got the Ridge to Rivers map. I know, that? we got the Ridge to Rivers map. <laughs> um, if, you, if you don't think I'm being rude, I'm going to pull up my phone real quick. No, go for okay. it. Because I just want to I want to make sure that I... Um, oh, it's Romania. Bulgaria and Romania. <laughs> what? You said it started with a B. Well, it starts, started Bucharest. with an R. Bucharest is <laughs> yeah. the capital of Is that of the Romania? capital? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you can't drive through Moldova. Like if you rent a car in the Ukraine or in Ukraine, I know they hate, hate it when you say Ukraine or the Ukraine, you can't drive through Moldova. Like you have to go around Moldova. And I don't know why. I mean, really? it's just some interesting rule that they have there. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. But like you talk to people in the United States and you tell them, hey, I'm going to the Black Sea and I'm going to go to like a beach resort on the Black Sea. And people are like, where the hell is that? Like, yeah. what are you talking about? Yeah. But they have gorgeous beaches there. Yeah. Um, Wasn't... Uh, Sochi or wasn't that on the Black Sea? I don't know how people. Sochi. Where the Olympics were in 2014. Is that in Russia? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't think so. that on the Black Sea? It's I like a so. Black Sea resort or something. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. It's just interesting to me that you hear about Greece and you hear about 
you know, to me, Croatia feels more mainstream now, but I don't think a lot of Americans know about Croatia. Yeah. But like the Amalfi Coast or like Italy, um, yeah. Cinque Terre in uh, Italy. Italy. Yeah. But I mean, there's parts of like Turkey and Georgia that have islands that are just kind of like Greek islands. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just that part of the world really interests me because we don't hear about it that much. Yeah. And I think also um, there's. I get the sense that there's kind of like a fear to potentially say you're going to Jordan or even Israel, right? Like Alex and I were talking about, oh, we think it'd be fun to go to Tel Aviv and then go into Jerusalem and stuff like that. I think we're going to go there. Are you? For sure. We had some friends that vacationed there and um, they said it was amazing. Yeah. It's fun. And uh, it was, they had a great time. It was very enjoyable. Um, But I do think that like if I were to tell my parents, hey, Alex and I are going to Israel, I think they'd be like... Ooh, is that the best place? Why don't you, you know, go to Canada or something? Yeah. Uh, but I think that uh, it's a shame because there's there is a lot of um, really really cool stuff out there. Yeah. Uh, if you're willing to kind of go off the beaten path a little well, bit. Well, I told you, and I know I know I talked about this on the last podcast, but my brother-in-law and I were thinking about going to Iraq. Yeah. And we we're going to go to Erbel and like see Kurdistan, and we knew like I have a connection to a guy who's from Kurdistan. Um, his whole family's there, so he was going to connect us to stay with some people, or like at least they would host us. Right. Um, but yeah, it's like you tell people, "Hey, I'm going to go to Iraq," and they're like, "Why the hell would you go to Iraq?" And it's like, "Well, it's not really like yeah. what you think of as Iraq. Right. It's totally different." Well, also another another like tropical island, awesome place that Alex and I would love to go to are like the Seychelles off the coast of Africa. Oh yeah, like, nobody talks about that, right? Yeah. Everyone talks about going to the South Pacific, going to. I don't know, Greece, to your point, you know, but nobody talks about going to... Are the Seychelles right off the east or the west coast? I think they're off the east coast, aren't they? Oh, okay. Okay. I think. What? Because there's the Azores that are up north. Way up north. And yeah, those are off the coast of Portugal. Oh, off the coast of Morocco. Yeah. What are those called? Because those are famous islands. I'm pulling out my phone again. I'm sorry. Because I want to, I don't want to have to fact check all this. Um, I don't know. Canary Islands. The Canary Islands. Yeah, the That's Canary right. Islands. That's right. Um, it's funny you say that about going to, like your your parents kind of cringing when you tell them you're going to go somewhere. My sister, my oldest sister, went to Morocco, mm. and they went. My they did like a little trip to Spain, and they flew to Morocco for a couple of days. And my mom, my mom was like so nervous about them going really? there. Yeah, because you know Muslim majority country, and my sister. Was I mean, it? she was. Never mind. Well, she was just worried about my sister, but there's sure. I, there's a stigma against it, but. If my mom would have known that there's 500 mosques in Sarajevo, she probably would have been more nervous about us going there. But it's just like some places have more Muslim people than we're used to here. Like, is there a mosque in Boise? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think people even know what a mosque looks like. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's super cool. Another really cool place to go visit is Southern Spain. Oh, okay. Um, because it was, uh, they have plenty of mosques, but then. Um, they were converted into like Catholic churches and then they were converted back in mosques oh, and then no they were kind of, just with the invasion. I forget. Oh God. What is it? Um, who were the, who uh, were the, uh, never mind. Spanish inquisition. No, 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 no. <laughs> God, what is it? Uh, anyway, they, they pushed all the way up. They took over North Africa. The, Ro- then, the Romans. No, they're, um, they're Muslim. It's, uh, Oh, the Ottomans. No, uh, this was like way back when, like uh-huh. probably in the sixth, seventh century. Okay, I don't. I'm... 
anyway, I haven't gone they, that far back in history. Yeah, yeah. They were in the they were in the Middle East. They pushed into North Africa. Then they actually pushed up into Spain, and okay. then they got pushed back down uh, out of Spain, back over through. And you know, when they were in Spain, they built mosques. Yeah. And when they were pushed back out, those mosques were then converted into Catholic churches. And they pushed back up, and they were converted back to mosques. And yeah. so it's cool to see the architecture and stuff. Yeah. Of you know what originally is a mosque, which is then turned into a. Um, a Catholic church yeah. basically, and then reconverted to a mosque type thing. And yeah. it's, you know, some of that architecture and it's really in Southern Spain cause they didn't conquer all of Spain. Um, but it was, Oh God, I forget what, uh, who it was. I'll fact but, check it and we'll yeah, do please it. Do. Yeah. I'll, I'll put it at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. Um, so the, the conquests and I don't know if you want to call it imperialism, but like the age of discovery and, where everyone was racing to try to like claim new islands and stuff. I watched a video explaining like, I think it was the Dutch, the Spanish, the British. And I don't know who were the other, there was one other big explorer. Maybe it was the Portuguese. Portuguese, Um, But they discovered literally every island in the world from like seven or it was from like 1450 to like 1750. Like everything was discovered in that span of time. Were these the people that didn't think the earth was round or the is it, i mean <laughs> no i think they I weren't think they, they finally, like trying to or was this was this past that point in time this is past that point in time they finally they were I trying mean, to find routes to asia right yeah i think initially they were trying to find the quickest easiest route to get to yeah like india for like the spice trade or whatever um and that's how they stumbled upon america blah 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 sure. hispaniola all those things um but they they were actually like actively out looking for islands mm-hmm. to claim and to plant their flag and that's why like French Guinea is French Guinea and like the South in the South Pacific, even during world war one, there were German people fighting Dutch people mm-hmm. in the South Pacific. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. It's that kind of stuff's mind blowing to me too. Um, and then another thing is they were looking for uh Northern passage, Northern passage. Oh. So trying to get to India, like up with, icebreaker ships going through the arctic yeah going through the arctic can you imagine that like being in the 1700s trying to do that crap no they found a ship in national treasure oh yeah (laughs) don't bring up national treasure around (laughs) debbie she hates nicholas cage oh man that's a great movie that's what i'm saying national (laughs) treasure is an awesome movie um real fast though on that on that exact point have you ever in um, the cia world fact check book or website or whatever is a great place to look at this but another area where you talk about, um, you know, people invading countries and then and doing that whole thing, yeah, uh, is if you look at Africa and you look at like Western Africa and into Central Africa, not so much into Southern Africa, but really kind of the Horn right there, yeah, and um, the Western part and the Central part. If you go and you look at what their official languages are, yeah, uh, you'll see Portuguese, you'll see, um, you know, Dutch, you'll see. Uh, you know, French, you'll see all these various languages. Yeah. That's quote unquote, their official language, because that's, you know, basically who during there? the day, that's who was there. Yeah. Yeah. There's, and even in um, like Haiti and so the island of Hispaniola, it's Haiti. And then is it French Guinea? The Dominican Republic. Or Dominican Republic. Okay. Yeah. So they speak Spanish, obviously in the Dominican Republic, but in Haiti, they speak French. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Super interesting. Is that, the, that's, probably their quote-unquote official language right yeah i think it is um and And then then you have like brazil and there they speak portuguese yeah you know you'd think they'd speak spanish but they speak 
Portuguese. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, gosh, I lost my train of thought. I was thinking about another place in Africa. Oh, okay. So speaking of, um, like traveling to a weird place and it just sounds weird for you to travel there. Somalia. Do you know about Somaliland? Uh, yeah, I, I, that's probably not a place you want to be traveling to. Well, you know, there's an Africa, there's a, uh, there's a U.S. military base in Somalia, right? Oh, really? Yeah. Which, which part of Somalia? Oh, I think it's probably, uh, I couldn't tell you. Cause there, there's there's the, there's the whole, cause they're like the whole horn. Yeah, Somalia I think it's is. probably around Mogadishu. It could be wrong. I don't know. So Mogadishu is like in the southern part of Somalia. Yeah. Well, like the, it's on the coast on the east side of Somalia. Yeah. But the whole northern portion that, I mean, I don't know. Is that the Red Sea? Yeah. So are you talking about Somalia or like Eritrea and the, so the it, whole horn? The It borders Eritrea, but that part of Somalia wants to be independent. They want to be recognized mm-hmm. by the UN. Um and they don't associate with the other part of yeah. Somalia. Like, they're their own ethnic people. And supposedly, it's a very safe to travel there. Interesting. Which is one of those places that you wouldn't think. Yeah, I probably still wouldn't go there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's like the, thinking about how gorgeous it is there. And the beaches and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you ever really kind of done a deep dive into, like, the Black Hawk Down story and why they were over there? And um, uh, Mohammed al Farid or something. Farad, Farad, yeah. who is the I know that they were killing, warlord over there, killing their own people. But I don't know exactly what. Yeah. So I, my whole point with this is that I find it super interesting. If you look at what's going on right now in the Middle East, in like um, Al Qaeda and um, you know the Bin Laden uh, folks and all those guys. Yeah. Um, you know how tied in they were with uh, with Africa as well before or during the nineties. And then even during, you know, the early two thousands, how, yeah. how much of a presence, um, these terrorist organizations, organizations had in like West Africa, yeah. and obviously in the horn right there with Somalia and Eritrea and some yeah. of those other countries. Uh, but it's crazy to see that it wasn't just in the middle East. Like they had, you had the, the bombings at, um, uh, the embassy bombings in oh. Nairobi and, uh, um, they blew the ship up. No, that was the USS Cole. Um, but in in the early '90s, I think during Clinton's administration, um, they blew. Um, it was the USS or the U.S. Embassy in Nairobi and in Tanzania. What's the capital of Tanzania? I don't know, um, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and that was from you know kind of that kind of stuff. And yeah. so it's interesting because a lot of people just kind of think of the Middle East, but like Africa's dealing with it as well. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's really interesting. Um, do you know? I think I got an email. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, do you know what exactly is going on in Yemen right now? I mean, I think it's kind of like the age-old tale that there's a dictator in power and he's killing their people and they're funding. You know, Russia's funding one side, the U.S. is funding a different side. Dar al Salaam. I, I don't is know. The capital of Tanzania. <laughs> So yeah, the U.S. Embassy in Nairobi and Dar es Salaam. Okay, okay. You're going to have to fact check. Okay, I will. Um, but do you, can you speak to Yemen at all? I have no idea. You haven't looked honestly. into it at all? Uh-uh. Um, I tried to read about it, and it's like it gets so complicated so quickly that it's like hard for me to wrap my brain around it. Yeah. Like I just started to understand what happened uh, in Bosnia. <laughs> like it, And I can probably explain it very simply to people now. Yeah. But... I mean, it's all all these ethnic groups that don't want to be a part of a different ethnic group, and one comes into power, and the 
Sunnis and the Shias don't like each other. And right. I mean, it gets, it gets so complicated. And then you throw into the ring, um, United States foreign policy, and they know that one side is being backed by either Russia or China or something. Mm-hmm. And so the U S wants to start throwing money at the other side. So they knock them out of power. So one of the things that I always thought would be so cool to work on, um, and you do have, so, uh, um, Congressman Simpson, um, yeah. one of the, uh, he's actually a very senior congressman in, in the house right now. He, okay. He's like number 20 or something. He's one of our representatives from Idaho's Idaho congressional district in Eastern Idaho, basically. Yeah. Anyway, he sits on the, um, house appropriations committee Okay. and, um, he works on uh, the black budget. Mm. And so I always thought that doing that as a staffer would probably be the ultimate, other than like working on the Senate Intel Committee or something. So is it an undisclosed amount that they give to like the CIA? We don't know. <laughs> well, do we know that? Um, <laughs> the I, sentence that I just I, said? I don't think that, uh, <clears throat> I, I I don't know. I don't know if, if the CIA's um, uh, I don't budget th- is is disclosed. I don't think it is. Um, but it's not just with CIA. It's not just with the, um, uh, national, some of those other, no, no, no. Some of those other, uh, Intel agencies with that, within Washington. Uh, but it also does like the, um, uh, black ops, uh, budget. Yeah. Like what they order for special forces and stuff like that is all kind of grouped into that. Yeah. And, I always thought that, you know, being part of, of those discussions and seeing kind of what, how much, A, how much is appropriated for black ops and the, the quote, unquote, they call it the quote unquote black budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but how much is being spent there? And, you know, obviously everyone wants to know what it's being used for, but. Well, didn't, doesn't it seem kind of horseshit, like as a taxpayer that you're like, you don't know exactly what your money's going towards. Yeah. But you could <laughs> say the same thing. I think it's horseshit that I don't know where the CIA is right now. Yeah. As a taxpayer, I fund the agency because at the end of the day, the CIA uh, is a government agency that's no different than uh, Department of Interior. They're a little bit different. A little bit, sure, (laughs) in what they do, but in how the agencies run from a budget budgetary standpoint and how their budget is appropriated from a congressional standpoint as well. Yeah. Um, So, So something I found super interesting, Debbie and I watched a show on... Hulu. It was either on Hulu or Amazon, and it was based on a book of one of the guys that was investigating the terrorists before 9-11. And do you know what I'm talking about? He was actually Muslim, and so he was very conflicted about all the stuff they were investigating, and um, he got sent to Lebanon, which is where the coal was, right? I'm not sure. I can't remember off so the top of my head. When the USS Cole got attacked, I think it was I in Lebanon. I think it was in Yemen or Oman. I think it was in Yemen. Okay, maybe it was there. But but he he got sent out there and he had to deal with, you know, the local population and they didn't really treat him well, but he spoke the language and sure. um it was it was very very interesting. But the thing that I found interesting about that show, I need to look up what that show was so I can tell people to watch it. But it was how the FBI and the CIA would not share information with each other. Oh yeah, and that was um yeah. And that's isn't that kind of the big issue that they found out that led to nine eleven was yep. the um, communication between they just government kept, agencies just they, collapsed. They kept stuff to themselves, and the way they portray the CIA guy—I don't know how accurate the show is—but the way they portrayed him in the show was he was very protective of his own information. He was protective of his staff. 
whenever there was an FBI person that would come in their office, they would hide everything from them. Yeah. yeah. So I actually, I've heard stories. Yes, I, I know what you're talking about. And I've also heard stories, they are protective. And whether this is true or not, this is all hearsay, but because of budgets. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, we want more money. Yeah. So we're not going to share. Or they're getting more money. The FBI is getting more money than Agency A. Yeah. So, you know, we're not going to share our secrets with them. And so well, how do whether you go, that's rumored or not, I don't if, know. If you're like the head of the CIA, how do you go in front of Congress and ask for more money if you can't share with them what you're doing? You do. You do it through... Um, a, they, they do have subcommittees and stuff that you can go testify. And then the Senate Intel Committee, granted, the House has the, the purse strings, right? So yeah. you wouldn't really go in front of the Senate and say, hey, I need more money. You go to the House. Okay. But they do have um, closed, in fact, I would say 95% of the Senate, and I'm only speaking from the Senate because that's, that's where I worked, yeah. but 95% of their hearings are actually closed off to the public. It's basically in a um, vault. Yeah, um, kind of locked down. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah, and they do on occasion. They do uh, open it back up. Yeah, um, but skiff. That's that's the, what it's called. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there's a bunch of little skiffs. Um, techn- that's the technical term. Yeah. Uh, in like the basement of like the Capitol building, where yeah. you can go and get. And it's and it's the the purpose of these skiffs are so that uh, Congress or senators members congressional members can yeah. go and get classified briefings. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And so, because you technically, there is a process for that, right? Yeah. Like you have to leave all your electronic equipment and you have to go check in. They have these little cubbies. You leave all your shit in and yeah. then, you know, you have your classified briefing. So in that three hour time span, basically the only communication that you can, if you're not, cause you can still go in and, and staff your boss if you have the right appropriate security clearances. Yeah. Um, but the only way to communicate with your boss is literally writing a note and yeah. then giving it to the secretary. And then the secretary walks in and just like slides it in front of him oh, and wow. then he'll answer and then she'll bring it. She or he yeah. will bring it back out and, uh, give it to you. Yeah. Like say, Hey, your next meeting's here. We need to go. Yeah. And then five minutes later, he'll come walking out. And, yeah. Um, okay. I got to ask you before we wrap up, because we're talking about this. Did you, were you ever in on a meeting or like in a briefing or something where like some information was shared and you were just like, holy shit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything you can talk about? Yeah. Okay. So, um, this was right when, um, I forget something happened, but we had the FBI and we actually, it was an open skiff. So we had, you know, uh, staff in there. Yeah. And the doors were open because it wasn't a classified briefing or anything. Yeah. Um, but it was, I think, just kind of like a, hey, you know, we're the FBI. We're here. We want to talk to you about some stuff, especially since you guys staff your boss. You meet people from the embassy and, and you meet, uh, you know, people working for different countries about various issues. And we just want you to be aware that this goes on. Yeah. And um, they're they're like, and they've they've actually... The, the whole thing was about spying on Capitol Hill, right? So, like, you'll have somebody from um, the the Russian embassy or the, the um, yeah, the Russian embassy. Let's go there. Yeah. Um, they'll come in, and, and there's a big old cafeteria in the basement of the um, in the Senate office building so that where everyone goes and eats, and you, take, you can take your meetings down there and go get coffee and do all this other stuff. Yeah. 
And what they were essentially warning us is, hey, just we want you to be aware that, you know, you have some probably unwelcomed ears sitting down there. And what they do is they have people that come in because it's open to the public. Yeah. All you have to do is go through a metal detector and you can go down there and get food. Like if you and I were in D.C., I could take you down there. Oh, cool. um, And we get lunch and kind of thing. But what happens is that you've got these these people from various embassies, whether or not they're... uh, their intent is bad or good. I don't know, but um, they'll just sit down there and listen to your conversations and they'll leave. And um, they've actually caught, and the whole thing was about, you know, again, um, spies and stuff like that. Yeah. And they're like, I will tell you from experience, the hardest thing is to catch a Russian with a New Zealand accent that is, you know, in a meeting on Capitol Hill about various issues. Yeah. And so they were just like, we just want you to be aware that this stuff goes on. They do send people down there. They do have, whether it's, you know, maybe one person a year or I don't know, I'm throwing that out there. Yeah. Or, you know, once a week, once a day, once a century, I don't know. It does happen. We do want you to be mindful of, of, you know, you might have some, somebody down there just so, just so you know that, you know, if there's a conversation you're having that you probably should have a door closed on. Yeah probably go find a door and close it and have that conversation wow. and don't have it in the general public. Yeah. You know, but it's stuff like that, that you're like, Oh wow, that makes really good sense because it's super easy access to them. And you have young staff that are 25, 26 years old that, you know, do have access to a lot of information, whether it be, you know, I mean, you've got 25 year olds that are staffing their boss that do have security clearances that do go to those, those secure briefings that, you know, are maybe a little cocky because they're working on Capitol Hill and, you know, they're, they've got access to some knowledge and, you know, so they might not be so, um, uh, careful. Yeah. And or they want to show off or something. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah it happens all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, like these guys, that's, it's common sense. Like these guys are, these guys know that there's people with big mouths down there too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, whether it's classified, again, whether it's classified information or not, uh, you know, it's information they didn't have before. Yeah. That's interesting. Russians with New Zealand accents. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Which makes me think, I mean, obviously the United States has people planted sure. everywhere. Yeah. And that's why, you know, on LinkedIn, I keep getting notifications about, please apply for the FBI. And it's like, you look into it and it's like top skills we need. What languages do you speak? Yeah. And it's like, if, you, if you're if you fluent in, you know, Spanish, they could put you in Venezuela or like... But they do have, um, I do know this uh, just from being back there, that they have, like the FBI, the CIA, I mean, they have these very, very extensive language programs. So even if you don't, you you apply for a job and you have zero language skills, um, they will get you quickly trained up if they want you to be trained up. Well, you you told me um, something about, like the CIA's training program. And I looked it up on my computer and they have like fully immersed, they, they set up like a city for you basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so like, if you need to learn Spanish, it's like you're living in a city, like there's like a McDonald's and you have to order in Spanish. Yeah. So another great book for you to read is class 11, I believe is what it's called. It's the first class. Uh, and I read this when I was back there. Um, it was a guy 
who and it's been fully vetted by the CIA. So everything he's saying, they've essentially signed off on yeah. to be disclosed. And it's it was basically the first class that went through the, the CIA training program after 9-11. Okay. And uh, he talks about everything that they've done from day one all the way to going down to the farm and, you know, then kind of people getting shipped off around the world. Yeah. And, uh, that's basically where it ends. But it's it's basically a book about the training that yeah. they go through. Obviously, obviously, it's very high level. Yeah. Um, but it's a it's a really good read. Yeah. If you're interested. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, we are coming up on an hour and a half, and I heard you're going to be grilling some steaks for me. So. <laughs> are you reimbursing me? Yeah, I'll reimburse you. I hey, I bought the sides. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> we'll kidding. bring some beer over. Okay. Um, but I've been letting people at the end of the podcast. I've been giving them a minute um, to basically get the last word. So I'm going to give you the last section of the podcast to say whatever you want to say. And you could say whatever. So, um, I think that, uh, you know, I think that, that, uh, people should be open-minded when it comes to traveling and maybe, you know, if something doesn't, uh, you know, maybe explore outside of France and, and your traditional European cities, go East, go, go South, go North. Um, you know, there's a lot of really cool places and unique places out there that, uh, not a lot of folks have been to. And, um, you know, if you go to a place that barely speaks English, I feel like you've hit the jackpot because yeah. that's the most authentic. And, and those are the, the, uh, experiences that you're going to be able to share for, for quite a long time. So awesome. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, Spence. I look forward to the third episode. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. See ya. <laughs>